Welcome back to Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, Earwax Kraut. I'm Mariah Rose. Kraut. I've probably used Kraut before. I, I feel like I lean hard into Kraut. Is that offensive? No, it's the sour version of Kraut. Oh. I... Who would be offended by Kraut? Germans. No, I'm largely German. No, I am largely German. You're fake largely German. I'm, yeah, that's true. I I was pretty offended just now. (laughs) All right, welcome to our podcast. If you're listening for the first time, this is a podcast about the 80s. Yeah. And we're going to talk 80s. We're going to talk 80s hard at you. Yep, here it comes in your ears. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the big news of the day. It's big. Big. Which is your unhealthy obsession with your brand new haircut that you just got (laughs) (laughs) like it's out of control with you looking just you got that smirk on your face at all times okay this is first of all my first like truly professional haircut ever Mm -hmm. ever i cut my own hair my mom cut my hair and i have had the super cuts, great clips cuts. Yeah, you sure have. Uh-huh. And recently I, I chopped off all my hair, well, like a bob, but I came home and found like a dangling four inch section. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to fix it myself, but I'm, I'm not actually a, a hairstylist, turns out. So we actually know uh, a professional stylist who's really good. Atomic Cowgirl Salon. If you're in Albuquerque, look it up. Jason is the best. He yep. gave me the fanciest haircut, and now I feel like I'm rich. I feel like I should wear a satin bathrobe and fan myself with large, large bills. Like, not oversized, but like big numbers. However, the biggest bill is. Is it on only 100? I don't know. I, don't, I feel I, like they make a larger bill than 100. Yeah, probably. Whatever it is, I want to fan myself with it. Would you say that he took your bob and made it a Robert? Oh. <laughs> now it's like really classy. <laughs> <laughs> it looks oh. very nice. Oh, well, how have you been? I've been... I've been okay. We're both fully vaccinated now, so we're like... Like superheroes now, essentially. For reals. We both survived. I got the J&J vaccine, so I am... And no blood clots. You got blood clots. You just didn't know it. I did not have blood clots. Only, what, eight out of... uh, (laughs) Like five billion people. Yeah, Yeah, we're fine. I am all free and clear. You just got your second at Pfizer. Weren't good enough for J&J, whatever. Okay, well. They only offer that to the elite. Oh, so you're special. I glow in the dark now. (laughs) Well, I got my nano chips and I'm feeling great. Yeah. I have also been extremely tired, not only because of that shot, but because I've been traveling nonstop. Yeah. How have you been? Um, worn out. Yeah. But I'm here and present and I'm going to give you guys an amazing show today. Well, to be fair, like I'm legitimately asking you how you've been because you have had to travel so much lately. Uh, I haven't seen you as much as I normally do. I haven't gotten to gaze upon your beautiful face. Well, I'm here. I'm a little tired, but that also could be because I just polished off my 153rd right before we started in honor of today's episode the eighth wonder of the world 
Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. Weighing 476 pounds. Okay, before we even get started, mm-hmm. I know everybody's like, yeah, finally. Um, no, nobody's doing that, actually. What? I, no, you know what? I bet you there are a couple people that are You're like, crazy. took long enough. Andre. It is Andre. I absolutely loved Andre, and I am was a huge wrestling fan as a kid. Mm-hmm. But full disclosure up front, I am not a wrestling scholar. You're, yeah, you're intimidated about this. <laughs> well, it's just that when you get into specialized subjects, people can be really uptight about dates and times and acronyms and everything else. We are going to do our best for you. but You will is, do your best. I'll do my mediocre. Yeah, I'll definitely do my best. And... This is more of an episode for really not diehard wrestling fans, but the non-diehard wrestling fans, because I feel like a lot of people don't know his full story. They -hmm. just know the name. And so if you grew up loving wrestling and you are kind of a historian of wrestling, you'll know all about this. But if not, this will be very interesting. But perhaps you'll learn something that maybe you didn't know, even if you are a fan of wrestling. And honestly, if you're like, they missed this, I want you to write it on a piece of paper. Everything we've missed in this man's life. And then I want you to fold it up real tight. <laughs> you can, you can Mariah do... Mariah Rose. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. What? What did you think I was going to say? Nothing. Okay. Go ahead. Let's let the, let's let the mind wander. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just say that because his story is so insane And so over the top that we really could have made like a series out of this. Mm -hmm. And we have to really pick and choose what's essential to just get the whole story out. And also, this is our version. But honestly, as I was doing the research for this, it's there's a lot of discrepancies. Part of it is because of the time in which he lived. So things weren't recorded in the same way. So it's lots of word of mouth or people uh, recounting their past in their own memoirs. So information is kind of subjective in his life, you know, exact yeah. numbers and things like that. And we'll get to it. Something that I've noticed comes up time and time again. And the more I listen to wrestlers talk about the past, the more this is very prevalent in in that industry, is that nobody trusts each other when it comes to storytelling. Mm-hmm. Wrestlers tend to go, well, you know, this is what so-and-so said, so I kind of believe it, or I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. It seems that wrestlers really do love e- embellishing accounts of uh. what happened to make their stories more grand. So Andre is definitely a product of that, where yes, he had a crazy life, but he's also prime picking for embellishing stories. Mm-hmm. So when you start to go through this information, you realize that everybody kind of had their own account of what was happening or how big or great it was. Yeah. I do think it's interesting to hear wrestlers tell their stories and then have other wrestlers say, well, of course, so-and-so would say that because of this or that. So it was a lot of fun. This was a tremendous amount of work for this episode. I had a lot of fun because, as I mentioned earlier, I did grow up on wrestling. I was a huge WWF fan. In the late 80s into early 90s was my era. You know, I did get to go see wrestling and I met people like The Undertaker and stuff. And it was a blast. I loved Andre. But I was just strictly a spectator, just a a total fan. 
I did not know the inner workings of the industry and, and yeah. behind the scenes, which is when you meet people who are obsessed with wrestling, this is mm-hmm. why is because it really is a fascinating world that goes on behind the scenes to pull this all off, especially in the early days. So I knew what we were getting into, but I knew I also was getting in a little over my head. And so what I did was turn to the one person who I know is an absolute authority in my life on all things wrestling. And that is my very good friend, Mike, from the Bad Taste Video Podcast. He lives and breathes and sleeps and eats all things wrestling. He actually just started a new account called Thunderfire Wrestling, which you should go follow because... Uh, he posts the most insanely obscure tapes, but that's all on Instagram. So I went to Mike and I said, you know, where do I even start? And mm-hmm. he sent me some really good information, but he also sent me a link to a podcast with this guy, Bruce Pritchard, who fans of wrestling would know he was a promoter and stuff like that. But it was him telling his accounts of knowing Andre and all these crazy stories that just don't get printed. So I started there and then I kind of went down the rabbit hole, kind of just getting our sources out of the way ahead of this. Mm-hmm. One of the ones I tried to listen to, I did listen to Chris Jericho, another wrestler, had a, a podcast where he brought on a recent biographer of Andre the Giant, who just published a book not too long ago. So that was really interesting, too, to get that more historical take of more of an authority on his life. Mm-hmm. I tried to listen to another podcast by Macho Man's brother, uh, the genius Leaping Lanny, but boy, that guy, he really wanders off into storyland and didn't really stay on point so i couldn't get through cool. that whole one and then of course i'm i'm hoping some of you guys have seen this there's a really great little documentary on hbo on andre the giant that came out a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and i would highly recommend that it's very concise very well produced and i watched that again and so just kind of beefing up on all the facts and it was interesting to see these discrepancies like you talked about mm-hmm. but overall you do get a very consistent impression yeah. of who Andre the Giant was. And that's what we're going to really try and capture today. Yeah, let's not quibble on numbers. If I'm, I'm going to give you numbers. Just accept them as either fact or fiction and move on from there. Because it's just one person said this number or that number and, and we'll touch on it. But yeah. Yeah. That being said, I am so insanely excited to get into this episode. I think we have a good one for you guys this this week. This is one that we have been talking about, and yeah, we dove we dove in pretty hard on this one. Put on your singlet, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> we've got ours on. We definitely are wearing ours right now. <laughs> well, I actually don't know a lot about him, and. My first like exposure to Andre was through The Princess Bride, and we'll get there. So the first thing I looked up, I discovered he was French. <laughs> well, there's a way to start. I feel like you're going to learn a lot on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but I was like, really? Because he definitely has an accent, if you've heard him talk, but... You know, he his voice is a little different, so it's hard to identify it. But now I know why. So he was born, André-René Rusimov, born in north-central France in 1946. Here's the thing, though. His parents were immigrants. Oh, yes. that explains why. Okay, because... And he also has a very muffled sound. Well, part of that's just his condition. But also, he has a Polish mother. 
And his father is Bulgarian or was Bulgarian. All right. Yeah, he comes from a a pretty decent sized family, too. Yeah. So he was the middle child of five siblings. So he had two older and two younger siblings. Okay. Smack in the middle, but he is the highest point in their family. (laughs) Yeah. He was very large at birth. He was 13 pounds. Okay. So. Wow. (laughs) As a person who has had children, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot. That's a that's a that's declared a, a disaster area. Oh, good grief! I can't even. I don't. Let's not. But I, I will heard say, that his mom got uh, the the French Legion of Honor award for giving birth <laughs> to him. No, but she all of her other children she was able to birth at home. But him, it was like, sorry guys. <laughs> yeah, and she went to the hospital. I will literally die. I'm giving birth to a full grown adult. Yeah, well, it was comparable to giving birth to like a three month old baby. Ugh. Or wow. maybe maybe four months. I read different accounts. But it was really clear, even in his childhood, that he was expressing traits of gigantism. Uh, this is caused by excessive amounts of growth hormone with the closure of or before the closure of growth plates. So like when you're a baby or growing, you have these uh, growth plates and like say you break your arm, they'll x-ray it to make sure you didn't damage your growth plate, which would upset the way that your bones grow. So he was having a lot of growth at a very early age and that's called acromegaly. I think I said that right. I looked it up three different times. So whatever. We're all learning things today. (laughs) Uh, I also read that this is sometimes attributed to or often attributed to a tumor on the pituitary gland. Okay. You know, what I found interesting was that this was not a one kind of a one time thing in wrestling. That as the years went on, several wrestlers that were larger that came in mm-hmm. had this exact same thing. Yeah. So it's just a difference that we'll get to later of why they didn't quite end up looking like Andre the Giant. Well, I read that it was unclear when he learned he, he had this, but possibly he didn't even learn it until he was professionally wrestling when he encountered. No, that's true. Yeah. Well, I read a few different accounts, so deal do with it what you might. But <laughs> right. um that he encountered somebody later on in his career and he was like oh wait maybe that's what's going on here but by the time he was 12 he was already over six feet tall Jeez. so oh my gosh we have an 11 year old can you imagine that (laughs) just dealing with like that level of intellect but in an adult-sized body I uh, heard that his dad, though, was pretty excited about this because he was able to do a lot on the farm. Yeah. Because he was just raised on this farm with his family and that he was basically like extremely helpful. Yeah. He was a, <laughs> from a very like, early age. Having a child as an adult level <laughs> yeah. labor. Yes. Yeah. And he completed school at age 14, which sounds confusing, but that's where school ended in France at that time so that was just normal and he didn't decide to go on to continue his education he went to work as a laborer on the farm and then he did other like manual labor type jobs like woodworking everything changed for him though after he met a French wrestling promoter who just happened to see him on the farm and he invited him to Paris to train at age 18 so then he moved to Paris Interesting. So we're already getting some discrepancies in story because as the story goes from what I've been 
listening to is that around 1964, when he mm-hmm. was about 18, mm-hmm. he decided he didn't want to stay on the farm and he wanted to do something else. So he moved to Paris and he was working. And then on his off time, he was going to a local gym and he was playing rugby and stuff like that. And at the local gym were some professional wrestlers, local kind of professional wrestlers. And he got to know them mm-hmm. and he started to just train with them and stuff like that. And that's when this promoter saw his potential, especially because of his size, and said, why don't I actually train you? Mm-hmm. So he did start learning how to really wrestle And then what ended up happening is that a wrestler got injured and they needed somebody to take his place. Mm -hmm. And that's how he got his foot in the door for wrestling. Yes, but there was a period of time where he was like sleeping on the benches at the Metro. Yeah, when this is mainly when he was doing this, when he was training and in his very, very early years of wrestling is when he was kind of in and out of places to stay Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't have money and stuff like that, which would be something that comes back later in his life where he was always very sympathetic to sex workers and would try and help them out when he saw oh, them and stuff because yeah. he um, felt this gratitude towards them the rest of his life because they, they gave him, they him, you know, a chance to get on his feet. But regardless of how that, that relationship started, mm-hmm. Andre is already into the world of wrestling. And, and the, he wasn't fully grown yet, right? No, he never really stopped growing. I mean, oh, be, because right, of this. Because of... So he decides he wants to get into wrestling. Of course, when you're wrestling, you have to have a backstory and a stage name and all this kind of stuff. Cool. So right out of the gates, he agrees to this backstory of being this lumberjack that was just out in the woods. And he goes by the name Jean Ferret which was a kind of based off of a folklore hero that had the same last name, who was this guy who had tremendous strength. Mm-hmm. But he went by Jean Ferret for years, and or the Giant Ferret or something like that. That was kind of his stage name when he first got started. Yeah. And we're talking early 60s, well, mid-60s, really. You know, I was surprised that there was a wrestling scene in France. There it's, was a wrestling scene all over the world. Yeah, I I tended to think of it as like an American phenomenon, which shows like my narrow scope. But it was really surprising to me that there was such a, a scene there. Yeah, because by the late 60s, not only was he wrestling and doing very well around Paris and the rest of France, but he was traveling already all over the world Jeez. because word had gotten out fast with him. And that he was going to the UK, Morocco, Australia. The thing to keep in mind, and I think this is really important, and we'll bring this up again, is when people think of Andre the Giant, kind of the legendary version of him, Mm -hmm. they think of him in the 80s, which is really at the decline of his career. Mm -hmm. But when he got started in the late 60s, early 70s, he was very tall and he was very lean. He was not the big kind of wide set Andre that everybody thinks of. Yeah. So he was fast and he was quick and he wrestled like a normal wrestler. He was just enormous in height. So he was very imposing. And I think people forget that because his style changed over time mm-hmm. as he grew larger to become slower and more kind of just choking people and stepping on them versus doing actual like typical wrestling moves Mm -hmm. but when he first started he was really kind of a marvel because not only could he wrestle really well early on but he was just so enormous now let's talk briefly real quick about his height okay because this is another huge bone of contention (sighs) yeah 
what what do you think on that? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, part of his condition of acromegaly is like one of the side effects can be spinal compression. And as a person who has suffered from spinal compression and recently discovered it involves the loss of some height, can you imagine it on a magnified scale? So I I was in a car ac- accident that caused me to lose some of my height just a little bit, but when you're a actual giant and your spine is constantly being pulled and pressed by just not only your weight but just gravity in general, that is going to do a lot. So there's also that sub culture uh, or not subculture but that other idea too that there's a little bit of an exaggeration in the wrestling world yeah well he was billed at seven foot four yeah now a lot of people are like no but he might have been around seven foot others are like he was about six ten here's the problem with that they're looking at it by the end of his career Mm -hmm. which he, he definitely was shorter by the end of his career yes there was a firsthand account when i was trying to listen to that podcast uh, with the genius he was saying you know he wrestled with him in the 70s mm-hmm. when he was still pretty lean and very tall and he said you know he was extremely tall he was upright he didn't lean over he didn't have bent back but they met back up in the in the 80s when they were both wrestling with the WWF mm-hmm. and he said it was crazy to stand next to him and see how much shorter he was because he was hunched over and his butt was sticking out and he really was significantly shorter yeah he had huge like problems yeah and you can tell like when he stands next to somebody like the undertaker who i don't know he was like 6'10 or something like that mm-hmm. they look almost the same height he, i mean andre is wider he's got much bigger features but height wise they're not that far off so my suspicion is that yes he started off i would think he was probably well over six or seven foot maybe but i think that by the time of his death he was you know probably around you know, six ten somewhere around there. Oh, geez, what a shrimp! But yeah, I, <laughs> well, I mean, just saying. Like, I agree though. I think that people it's assume that height is a static number when it really, really, absolutely is always changing. So maybe at his height he was over seven feet. At another point he was photographed next to next to Wilt Chamberlain, who was I think over seven feet, and he was shorter. Um, I mean, who knows, though, in a photograph, maybe he was slouching or maybe he was genuinely smaller. I don't know. But you mentioned his larger features, and that is absolutely a result of uh, acromegaly. So he he had continuously growing features as well. That's why his face is broad and his hands were so big and so wide. And I read that it really gave him trouble when he was driving and he couldn't dial a phone without using a pencil yeah well and that is important to note is that andre wasn't just a tall person he was a very big person and so when you look at somebody like i said undertaker even hulk was really tall too Mm -hmm. or big show or the giant gonzalez these guys were all just tall but they were very proportionate Mm -hmm. whereas andre was tall and he was everything was just way bigger than everything else you know or everybody else around him his hands were huge. His face was huge. And so it is interesting. Uh, his The the way it, it just kept growing over time, like I said, mm-hmm. because of his condition, 
he was constantly growing. His his bone mass was constantly getting, you know, yeah. heavier. And I read that you could drop a silver dollar through his rings. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, you know, a lot true. of folklore around him, too. Which is so interesting. But we'll talk about in his later years how this became a major problem as oh, he got yeah. even larger because it just made things more difficult. And he's, as you become more famous, you're in higher demand, too. Oh, I know. But let's get back to those early days. Sure. And he was still Jean Ferret. So by the late 60s, like I said, he started to travel the world. Word's getting out really quick. He made his debut in Japan for the International Wrestling Enterprises, the IWE, mm-hmm. under the name uh, Monster Rusinov, which I actually like. And this is important why I mentioned is that Japan becomes uh, a recurring theme up until the literally the very end of his wrestling career Mm -hmm. is going to Japan and wrestling. He was huge there (laughs) in more ways than one. (laughs) I'm big in Japan. But he gets started there and that thing that just takes off even more. Like Mm -hmm. now he's starting to, to corner the Asian market as well. And his name is just spreading. His image is spreading. You know, this yeah. is all pre-internet, but these magazines are taking photos and spreading the word. So I imagine he would have been quite a novelty in a in a region where he would be so very different. Instantly, yeah. instantly stood out. I mean, not just because of his height, but just because nobody had ever seen anything like this in the wrestling world. And to go back to his style, not only that, there had been larger men in mm-hmm. wrestling from time to time, but not with... The agility that he had when he nice first started. Flair. Yeah. And so I think that was the other thing was that he was he was quick and he was able to do these things at such a large height. But really something that was big for him was that in 1971, mm-hmm. he moved to Montreal. So he came over to North America. Mm-hmm. And this was because a few years earlier when he was doing the rounds, just doing kind of international travel he met a promoter, a Canadian rep- promoter, a very famous one named Frank Valois, who said, you know, let's get you over to North America where there's this huge market here, mm-hmm. too. And so he came to Canada and he was doing very well for himself. He was starting to sell out crowds constantly. You know, people had never seen anything like it. And it was just everything was rolling and going well. Mm-hmm. What happened is Frank realized this is kind of like the scenario of the local band who is excited at first and then just plays every weekend and everybody stops to go yeah. see The numbers started to go down and Frank was a little panicked because he didn't know what to do with Andre and he knew that there was more for him to do. Yeah. I'm a little iffy on what happened next. There's some accounts that he was approached, another account that Frank approached somebody. Regardless, this is... Somebody the, approached somebody. This is the moment, though, where Andre's career completely shifts to become the superstar that he is, mm-hmm. which is he gets introduced to a man named Vince McMahon Sr. Wait, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> Vince McMahon Sr. was overseeing the WWF. Yes, there were three Ws in there. WWF. Okay. Yeah, this was kind of the northeast territory of wrestling it was also kind of the most lucrative the largest and he was a big shot promoter and organizer and he had this idea so some stories say that frank came to to vince and said what do i do with andre Mm -hmm. 
Others say that Vince was getting word really quick that Andre was this big deal and wanted him for himself. Okay. I, I kind of would believe the latter, honestly, knowing... Or maybe both things happened yeah, simultaneously, maybe. like two unicorns jumping through the air <laughs> and hitting horns at the same moment. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that he did get hooked up with Vince McMahon Sr. Mm-hmm. And this is where things change because Vince sees the potential that this guy is unlike anybody else the wrestling world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, what we should do is really kind of rent him out in a way to other promoters to bring them to their town Mm -hmm. as this attraction. It was like a sideshow. Bring him as an attraction, let him perform, and it'll sell out crowds. This is where it gets interesting. And not knowing a lot about wrestling this will be very helpful to you, is that when we think about wrestling in today's modern terms, we think about something like the WWE or WCW, which is a national organization Mm -hmm. where everybody travels the United States wrestling, you know, and kind of town to town. Up until this point, and still at this point, that was not the case. There was no national organization for wrestling. It was Mm -hmm. all divided by territories. It was territorial wrestling. So, and... Some accounts say at the height, there was up to 32 different territories in the United States where you had the Southwest region, you had the Northeast region. That's excessive. Well, but everything was run locally. So what was interesting is that they all had their own names, their own styles, their own approaches, and their own wrestlers. So every territory had like their own kind of hometown star. And this is going to be very important going forward. What was unique about Andre is Vince McMahon Sr. said... We should rent him to different territories and rent let him, him. go Ugh. kind of challenge the local hometown heroes. And usually they would like, if they did defeat him, it was by count out or something like that, you know. But it was this attraction. So he was making the rounds across America, mm-hmm. meaning that not only was he getting to know basically every wrestler that was active at the time, but everybody in every town was getting to see him at some point. Mm -hmm. It also meant that he wasn't getting stale or tired in just the Northwest region or the Northeast region. He was kind of getting spread around. He was also still going to Japan and stuff like that too. So as you can imagine, things are like developing really quick. What also is important is Vince McMahon senior dubbed him the eighth wonder of the world renamed him Andre the Giant. So he lost the Jean Ferret thing. And another thing which I don't, I'm kind of on the fence about, I don't know how I, I feel about this. He said, let's kind of ditch the typical wrestling moves that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Let's have him be more kind of staggering and big and imposing and swinging and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. choking and holding your face and stepping on you and just being more of a giant. Sure. Which is what he became known as. Why I feel a little mixed about this is because some of the criticism of Andre, especially as the years went on, was that he wasn't really a great wrestler. He was kind of a boring, slow moving wrestler. But I think some of that, I mean, a lot of that is attributed later on to his deterioration of his body. I think it was starting really early, though. But some of it started early, too, with just a stylistic approach to making him seem more like a giant that just moves around like that. Yeah, This all happened in 73. Mm -hmm. And to show you how quickly this took off, by 74, Mm -hmm. he's the highest paid wrestler in history. 
And he is on the books in one year alone, in that year, of making $400,000 in just one year. Which is equivalent to making $90 quabillion in today's <laughs> I don't think dollars. it's that, quite that much, but it's a lot. For sure. Exact number. Needless to say, his star rose so astronomically fast mm-hmm. that by the mid-70s, and this is not an understatement, he was universally known as one of the biggest kind of sports stars in the world. Everybody knew the name Andre the Giant. And most people agree that really the only person that, you know, overshined him at this time was Muhammad Ali. It was like everybody knew Muhammad Ali and then everybody knew Andre the Giant. That's bananas. It is bananas because this all happened pretty fast. Granted, he had been wrestling for years, but he had been doing kind of these random things. All things considered, from farm to highest paid wrestler... It's a quick jump. It's a very quick jump. It's, you know, basically a decade. And he's gone from being a kid in the workout, you know, gym. Yeah. To being the highest paid wrestler in history. I actually read also that he didn't even like know about wrestling before moving to Paris because his parents didn't even have like TV. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think he seemed or he was he was a very smart guy, but he was also kind of clueless to some kind of common things like that yeah. too because of his upbringing at, no, in a yeah farm. just no exposure now i talked about his style a little but this really was prime time andre the giant like if you're going to think of andre or you want to remember him in his best time mm-hmm. it's going to be mid to late 70s was yeah. when he was at his absolute peak and if if you wanted to see him this is when you saw him so he had signed on with vince mcmahon senior with the WWWF and <laughs> I know it's too many W's <laughs> and was doing his thing. In addition to this being the prime time of Andre, something to consider that often gets overlooked unless you knew him or know his history is his lifestyle, especially because he was traveling the world. I mean, some people were saying that he was wrestling like 300 days a year kind of idea. Oh, he no. was, he, and he loved it. He thrived on traveling The only problem is the world was not really built for a man that size. And traveling was really, really tough on him. Finding a hotel bed, a shower, all these things, you know, just keeping up his hygiene was difficult because he just couldn't, he couldn't find clothes. Well, and honestly, I kept thinking as I did this research and thought of his travel, I thought about blood clots, like on a plane. That's had to be a major consideration for somebody with his condition just going from, you know, the U.S. to Japan or something. Well, yeah, and he had to buy, you know, three seats at a time yeah. and he couldn't use the bathroom in the in the plane. He so, couldn't use the bathroom, like, anywhere. And they so they would just put, like, a blanket up and let him just pee in an ice bucket, you know, because there was oh. nothing else he could do. I, in the bathroom section, I do need to say... There are stories of him not being able to use regular toilets and having to, like, use a bucket for defecating, like, in a hotel room and stuff. That was very common in Japan. There was... He could not even kind of use the bathrooms yeah. in Japan. So, he would, they said he would basically have to just put out newspaper like a dog uh, because there was nowhere for him to go. That's not nice. Also, he was incredibly sensitive to this. Yeah. He was very insecure about his height. He didn't like people pointing it out. People his entire life would gawk at him and call him names. Children were afraid of him. So 
he has this larger than life persona in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. But he was very much like a sensitive soul. He had his shortcomings. Don't get me wrong. He mm-hmm. was definitely a very flawed human. But one of the ways he dealt with this kind of emotional baggage and just the stress on his and the toll it was taking on his life was alcohol. He didn't use drugs. He he wasn't a drug user, but he definitely used alcohol to numb the pain. Yeah. I just mentioned all that because I think it's people forget kind of how difficult it was for him to just navigate this lifestyle that he had chosen. Mm-hmm. But he did love it. He loved to travel. He loved to wrestle. Yeah, I think he loved his job. I don't think he loved everything that came with it. And you did mention his alcohol. But I do want to say that I think he was using that as a way to mitigate the pain that he was experiencing as well. And and that is for sure by the end of his life, 100% why he was doing that. I Yeah, I think from throughout the 80s to the end, he was in constant pain. And that was one, one of his outlets. And we'll get to that as we move forward. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's jump ahead, though. Even though a lot happened in the late 70s, he did start to have some, some issues with his body starting to kind of... Mm-hmm. It was starting to take a toll, which is natural. But we're going to jump to 82 because this is an important time in wrestling. Vince McMahon Sr. is getting up there in age and he decides to sell his company, his son, Vince McMahon Jr., the Vince McMahon that everybody knows, bought the company from his father. Now, this is really important because they were two very different people. And uh, a lot of people can't stand Vince McMahon because he's a shady. Yeah, he's a shady D-bag, but... He was also incredibly business savvy. And in 82 is when he took over the company and had this concept that would revolutionize the world of wrestling as we know it, which was, it's still territorial, right? Throughout the entire United States. What Mm if I start kind of picking all the hometown heroes and wooing them away to come work for my company? But instead of it just being this Northeast region, I make a national organization mm-hmm. i'll drop the extra w that my dad should have never put on there Only and just two. call it wwf and he starts grabbing all these the top of the top the the cream of the crop wrestlers from around america mm-hmm. and recruiting them to build this organization which is a national organization of wrestling so that's what we think of today but this was all happening during andre's time he was right in the thick of it some of the wrestlers that he kind of poached from all the other organizers, which Uh I'm sure went over really well, became just superstars in the early days of WWF. -hmm. WF. It would be Junkyard Dog, Bobby Heenan, Jesse the Body Ventura, King Kong Bundy, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Like all these guys were getting picked Mm -hmm. and coming over to start wrestling for the WWF. So this was a huge deal. And in 1984... Vince McMahon approaches Andre the Giant, who, you know, was already working Mm -hmm. for his dad's company, but said, I want you to exclusively work for the WWF. Mm -hmm. You can't work for anybody else. I wonder what those contracts are like. Probably insane. The only person or the only group you can still work for is I'll still let you go over to Japan and work for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like you can still do that. Okay. But uh, otherwise, you're wrestling for me now. And Andre said, sure. And this was really smart because at this time, we're right on uh, the cusp of 
Hulk is now on the scene. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan's arrived, you know, late 70s, early Maybe 80s. Maybe heard of him. He's now becoming very quickly becoming the new star of wrestling. But at this point, Andre still really is the biggest wrestling star in the world. So to have him come on. That's a big deal. This solidifies that the WWF is, is it. This Totes is now legit. wrestling. Andre's role got a little complicated because even though he signed on by 84, he's his health is starting to take a turn already. Yeah. And he's not looking so good. He's gaining more weight, more height, more width. And really where he gets his specialty and and where he becomes known in the WF is the battle royales, you know, where you get like 20 guys in a ring and mm-hmm. he just clears them all out because nobody can throw them over the ropes. Yep. So he became a specialist and that was really kind of his little gimmick. And then, you know, he would have title bouts and stuff like that. But he's wrestling. He's just not wrestling at the level he used to be wrestling. That's fair. He did develop some cool rivalries during this time, though. Some uh, were part of the act. Some were uh, definitely real oh, life. Yeah, I did read about at least one. Yeah, big John Studd's the big one. Oh, I have a different one I can okay, add. Sure. Big John Studd, though, was a, a very tall dude and claimed to be the real giant. And that didn't go over well with Andre the Giant. Something we also have to mention about the life of Andre the Giant is he never in his life took it from anybody. Like, he was the guy in charge. All the wrestlers, when they talk about him, referred to him as the boss. That's how he was known. He, Andre the Giant, he was the boss. And whatever he said went. And this well, is. Well, who not, would argue with him? Exactly. Nobody could argue with him. He did not agree to things that he didn't want to do. He would only do the matches the way he wanted them to do. He wouldn't wrestle people he didn't want to wrestle. Like he, some people thought he was a bully, but he wasn't. He just had been doing this for so long and nobody was going to step up to him that he really ran the show and nobody really told him what to do. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, you get Big John Studd, who's like, I don't care who you are. Gross. I don't like the name Big John Studd. (laughs) I'm the true giant. And so in real life, real tension did start to happen and as the stories go when they would wrestle uh, andre would definitely let him know he wasn't in control <laughs> he kind of made his life a living hell he also had a beat a little bit of beef with the sheik and some other people from time to time but we'll get to one of the best ones in a little bit because okay. it's the funniest one i for know sure. which one and it probably is. the most famous one that it's he had hilarious yeah but he was doing well for himself. He's doing the battle royales and he's he's kind of doing these little rivalries and stuff like he's that. He's got his thing. Yeah, he's on the circuit and doing well. But the biggest rivalry that he will forever be known for is going to be Hulk Hogan. Like considered by most the, the greatest rivalry in wrestling. I would have liked to see them do a buddy film. Yeah, that would have been fun. It's so cool. What was the movie that was a Mr. Nanny? Yeah, he did Mr. Nanny. Wouldn't it be cool to have had a Mr. Nanny's? Mr. <laughs> Mr.'s Nanny? I guess. Okay. Just spitballing. Anyway. Suburban Andre... Commando. Huh? Suburban Commando. Yeah, he was in Suburban Commando. Suburban Commandos. Okay, sorry. Go back to it. Okay. No, you just keep spitting them out. <laughs> no, I'm done. Let's get, let's just stop on the whole Andre Hulk okay. thing. Okay. This feud, which was completely just part of the show, because in real life, they were really good friends. They really liked each other. Hulk grew up. He saw him as a teenager and was obsessed with Andre the Giant. So 
he was like a hero of his, as Andre was to almost all the wrestlers. That's one thing that's interesting about Andre was oh. even till his death, he everybody really did respect him. You know, he had a little bit of beef with a few people. And by the end, he was very grumpy and Andre because he was in constant pain. Mm-hmm. But everybody respected him and understood his contributions to wrestling. Mm-hmm. So he and Hulk got along really well. I mean, he, he gave Hulk the runaround when he was a fresh face on the scene. Sure. But they, they really did develop a good friendship. Everybody thinks of the Hulk and Andre feud being, you know, the 87 era of WrestleMania 3. Like, you know, considered one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. But I wanted to take a moment for our non-wrestling fans to kind of back it up. Mm-hmm. And just look back at the history of Andre and Hulk. Okay. Because it's a really interesting story. Okay. And it'll play into... The mythology of their their whole feud later. Okay. You Curious. ready? Yes, but can I tell you a little side story? Mm-hmm. Very, very quick. When I was little, I thought Hulk Hogan and uh, Paul Hogan were related. <laughs> That's a bummer that they weren't. I know. I mean, it it's really obvious because one's Australian. But I, I thought Hulk Hogan and Croc- Crocodile Dundee were like brothers. Yeah. Or maybe cousins. Because Hogan's not even his real name. But <laughs> Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> All right. Let's take a moment. Go back in time. I thought okay. this would be a little fun sidestep. Please. Just for wrestling history. This goes back to 1978. Okay. So we're going back almost a decade before WrestleMania 3. This is when Hulk first wrestled Andre the Giant. Hulk at the time was known as Terry Boulder. He wasn't Hulk Hogan. And over the shoulder, Boulder Holder. <laughs> they, had, they had met several times and wrestled in the Southwest Championship Wrestling Circuit. Okay. So they already knew each other. They were already wrestling by 78. By 79, this is when Hogan came over and joined McMahon Sr. with the WWF, okay. where Andre was a part of. So he was now on board. And starting in 80, they were wrestling all the time. Like they had wrestled, you know, 16 times in one year already. Now, Hogan left the WWF in 1981. I'm not sure why, but this isn't an episode on Hulk. Maybe that would be a future one. That'd be kind of fun. But between 82 and 83, Andre and Hulk were still wrestling each other constantly. They were over in Japan wrestling uh, I don't know if you know the term turning heel, but that means like when one guy goes bad, like his character goes bad. Okay. And in, in Japan, Andre would often be the heel. He would be bad. Mm-hmm. But in, in America, Hulk would, would be the bad guy. But in 82, 83, they're wrestling like all the time. They were also doing tag teams at the time for the American Wrestling Association. This is uh-huh. all really important because they were constantly wrestling each other (laughs) so it's not like they had never met in the ring 1984 hulk returns to the wwf and part of the story when he returns is that andre and hulk they're really good friends they're buddies they're helping each other out you have to build this up because this is what's going to set up wrestlemania 3 and the, the entire legacy of their feud so they're really oh good friends. Oh my gosh. I was now it all wondering. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. 
We're jumping to WrestleMania 3, but I know yeah. we can't get there until we talk about the other little tiny feud because you're dying to talk about it. I can so, see it in your eyes. Let's so just eager. get it out of the way. We'll get back to WrestleMania 3 in a second. Let's talk about baby oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about a baby oil. <laughs> Andre's like number one enemy in real life was Macho Man Randy Savage. It was a legit complaint. And it. 100% comes down to Macho Man was a stubborn bastard, too. Yeah. And loved soaking himself like uh, Scrooge McDuck in his coin bank, <laughs> jumping into a vat of baby oil and looking really, like, oily for his matches. The thing is, Andre hated it. Yeah. And Andre would tell people, no, you know, you're not doing that. Not doing this. Yeah, because everybody liked to wear the baby oil and they would listen to him. And Macho Man was the only one that was like, well, I don't care, brother, because you see, I'm going to oh, wear the baby oil. And he, yeah, you're jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to wear the baby oil. <laughs> but brother, I'm going to wear oh the baby oil. Oh my gosh, no. All right, I'll stop. So this caused major friction between them. Now, this might seem really like weird and petty. Oh, wait. It's weird to have a feud with somebody about baby oil. Oh my gosh. I would be so jazzed to have a baby oil feud with somebody. How proud would you be? <laughs> okay. This is, here's the thing. What? Is that it was slippery. Yeah. Get your hands on. Slippery when wet. But his biographer, <laughs> his biographer pointed something out that was really like, very important in this whole scenario of why Andre hated this. In addition to Andre just telling him no and him still doing it that pissed him off. Mm -hmm. This is more interesting. And behind the scenes is his biographer said, keep in mind, Andre lived on the road. So he constantly was in hotel rooms and the showers were really difficult for him to shower in. So it was really hard for him after match everybody would go take a shower and then go do their thing oh. andre often couldn't do that so he would just go sit in the bar and get drunk or something because oh. he couldn't even fit in the shower so imagine being coated in baby oil Ugh. all night long and not being able to wash it off and not being a baby that <laughs> yeah it just bothered him it was gross and it was nasty and so yeah, he didn't want it else's baby oil Ew. applied from somebody else's like forearm skin <laughs> yes now the funny thing is forearm skin <laughs> to get back at macho man the one thing that macho man feared the most was going bald he like loved his hair oh okay and andre intentionally on more than one occasion would pin him down by his hair and then just pull him up and leave like pieces oh. of chunks of his hair oh Be i know because they just hated each other. I feel like that's excessive testosterone at play. Sure. But also, he's seven foot four, and you're not going to take off your damn baby oils. So, I, I price think to pay. Maybe I would beat somebody to death for refusing to <laughs> <laughs> not take off their baby oil. Yeah, just don't touch me with your baby oil. Okay, now that you got the baby oil story out of the way, <laughs> let's get back to WrestleMania 3. Okay. So keep in mind, they're all friends, right? Andre and Hulk. Friendly friends. Hulk at this point, Hulkamania is in full effect. Yeah. And Hulk is now starting to eclipse Andre easily and become like, well, I think at this point he is, like the, the number one superstar in the world. 
but it's still the two of them. In wrestling. In wrestling. But, well, I mean, Hulk at this point had kind of infiltrated TV and, uh, you know, he'd been know. on Rocky and Tom all that Cruise kind of stuff. Tom Cruise was around by now. <laughs> Calm down. But what had happened is that by 87, Andre was in a ton of pain. Like, he was not doing well anymore no. at all. And it was really hard for him to move around at this point. Vince McMahon tells a story that Andre approached him and said, I think I'm done. But they still had some ideas of maybe how they could use him, even though he was becoming less and less capable of moving around. So this is starting to kind of boil under the surface is that Andre is in pain. He doesn't really want to be wrestling anymore. And he had been refusing treatment because he thought it would interfere with his career. Yeah. Absolutely. He also, even though he wasn't super religious, was convinced that this is how God made him and felt that like getting any kind of operation would would be weird. Like he was against that. I mentioned that because we talked about earlier how there were other large wrestlers that had the same situation of that growth clan. Mm -hmm. They found that they could um, stop that. So it wouldn't reverse it, but it would stop you from growing anymore. And he, on several occasions, was told, you need to have this surgery so that you'll stop growing. And he refused to do it. Yes. So he's in pain. He gets a offer to go act in a very certain movie mm. in 1987. We'll get to it. And while he's off shooting that movie, Vince McMahon comes over to the set. I think it's in Scotland or something like that. And sits down with Andre and says, look... I've got an idea. WrestleMania 3. It's going to be the biggest, baddest thing we've ever done. I don't think anybody could have predicted the the cultural phenomenon that it became. But they were planning for it to be very large. They booked a really large arena. Mm-hmm. They wanted something, the main title event, to be something that would be unforgettable. And the thing that they cooked up, Vince McMahon, was to have Andre turn heel on Hulk and become the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Which up until this point, the average wrestler fan had never seen this before. Andre sure. was the good guy in the eyes of most people. Yes. In addition to that, they were going to bill it as Andre was undefeated, which mm-hmm. was totally untrue. And by all you know accounts to the average wrestling fan, this was also going to be the first time Andre and the Hulk had ever met and wrestled each other. Oh. Which is exactly weird because they had been wrestling each other for years and years and years. Awkward. But this is how it was billed. So the main title event was going to be this way. So in order to do that. I see that though. Like, sorry to interrupt, but I see that because we are operating from a 21st century experience where we have access to the internet, but people wouldn't know. If you weren't catching him on the road. Yeah. And keep in mind, Andre wasn't wrestling every single match. They kept him kind of for rare occasions so he wouldn't lose it but if you caught him and hulk you're kind of that's a rare occasion yeah but it wasn't something that, that was makes widely sense. known yeah and this is also appealing to the masses this was also pay-per-view was brand new so this is really you know oh, yeah. becoming a major thing in order to pull this off andre agrees to turn bad bad guy so this all goes down on an episode of piper's pit where andre is with Bobby Heenan, who's the manager. He's a you know scumbag manager. So if you're with him, you're already something's not you're right. Bad. And Hulk's there, and they start to have this beef. And Hulk, you know, king of acting, 
starts to play it up like, what are you talking about, brother? You know? Oh, no. And, and Andre is like, no. How come you won't let me do any impressions? You do it. Go. No. Uh, here. No, it's too late. No, 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 no. I'm opening the door. You run free. No, no, do you it. ruined it. You ruined it for our listeners, Mariah. Did I ruin it? That's on you. Okay. Okay. It was going to be really good. I'm sure. Anyway, the whole event happens on Piper's Pit that is... Is this Rowdy Rowdy Piper? Yeah. And it's Andre freaking out and saying, you know, I'm I'm over it and I challenge you to your championship belt. And and Hulk being like, ooh. (laughs) What's interesting is, and this wasn't planned, is that Andre reaches over. He was just supposed to tear off Hulk's shirt and instead accidentally caught his crucifix necklace Ripped that off, and his nail got caught and cut him, so he's bleeding. So by the time this whole thing, dirty nails cut him. So by the time this whole thing is done, Hulk is shirtless, uh, necklaceless, bleeding, and to Hulk's credit, as he tries to say, he shed a tear just for the audience, you know, to like really ham it up, right? Well, to people like me, who Uh I was seven at the time, yes, I remember this. Well, it was talked about on the sure. playground. Like, what? Andre did what? Like, we couldn't fathom that Andre would turn bad, and especially on the Hulk. So this was brilliant marketing. And that's what got us to WrestleMania 3, which they have this match, which is pretty lackluster. But at the same time, it's also like a great match because it's it's huge. It's the biggest audience wrestling had ever seen. Pay-per-view the numbers were through the roof. I mean, this was next level. Nobody had predicted that it was going to be this big. And the the big moment mm-hmm. is that Hulk picks up Andre, 500 pounds, and body slams him. Mm-hmm. Body slam heard around the world. Oh. Okay. Hate to burst your bubble for the, the fans who don't know the history, but that's A, not the first time that Andre had ever been body slammed. And B, wasn't the first time that Hulk had body slammed him. Mm. He had done that back in 80. But to everybody else, the undefeated Andre the Giant was just body slammed for the first time ever mm-hmm. by Hulk, who he had never wrestled before. Shocking. That's how this was spun. And it worked. It all worked brilliantly. <sighs> and they shot, both of them shot into the upper echelons of icons and that would become the match that they would forever be associated with. I have actually kind of a sweet story about this. Okay. So there was a great deal of choreography. No big surprise there. But Hulk made sure to be very careful about Andre's, like, pain. Oh, yeah. So it was, like, every single step of it was very carefully organized and orchestrated so that he wouldn't hurt his friend. Interesting. There's a lot of, and this is where wrestlers are go. well, I kind of believe Hulk, I kind of don't, is that Hulk said, you know, he wrote out every move mm-hmm. and then didn't know if Andre would agree to it till the very end. Um, but he did, of course, mm-hmm. and everything went as planned. But yes, Hulk did have a lot of admiration and respect for Andre. So that's not a surprise to me at all. No. But WrestleMania 3 happens And why we spent so much time on that is that that really is when the average person, not your hardcore wrestling fans, when the average person Mm -hmm. and our average listener thinks of Andre the Giant, it's WrestleMania 3 versus Hulk Hogan. So this was a great thing, but this was also kind of 
the beginning of the end. This was the peak. And after this, there was going to be no turning back because we'd said he was already in tremendous pain. Mm -hmm. And it's right after this where there's just no way that he can go on wrestling at the way he's been wrestling. Yes, he was declining, but he didn't... Like, he had been in decline for quite some time, so he had been kind of diversifying his portfolio. So in the 70s and 80s, he began acting. Although, truly, he he did his first acting gig in a French, like, boxing film in the 1960s. But in 1976, he played Sasquatch in two episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man. Did you ever watch that? I've seen images of it. I, I have not seen that episode, mm-hmm. but one of the podcasts I was listening to, they said if you watch at one point, you can see him wearing tennis shoes, walking around as Bigfoot. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> if I were a Bigfoot, I'd wear sneakers too. So he actually was in many television shows, but in the 1980s, he started acting in film. So in 1984, he was in Conan the Destroyer. Oh yeah, shout out to my friend Terry. He was like, you gotta mention that. Yes, this was it. He was also in Mickey and Maude. And then, of course, most importantly. Most important. The whole reason for this episode. You're the one that brought it up. Oh, okay. This was actually where I first ever heard about Andre. Yes. Fezzik and the Princess Bride. That's right. Oh, my gosh. We uh, probably should cover that. This movie is so far beyond precious to me. I know every word and I am so giving and loving that I don't speak along with the dialogue, even though in my heart I'm secretly seeking, speaking it to myself. I know every word of this film and I love Andre's words, like lines the best. He ah, is okay. so great. He is magic. This is where I fell in love with him. I know everybody else is like, hey, gross. I loved him. You know, in the seventies and eighties, but this <laughs> this was it for me. No, you are you are in the majority, not the minority. This Andre, everybody knows that this is what changed everything for him. This is the pinnacle for him, mm-hmm. and this was also one of the things that he loved the most about his entire career. Yeah, he counted this as his greatest role, and in fact, the wrestler Lanny Poffo or Pofo, I'm not sure. I don't know wrestlers. Oh, you're talking about. Um, uh, the genius. He said that Andre would like gather his wrestling pals over, like give them food, give them booze, and he would make them watch his advanced screening copy and then like ask for feedback. <laughs> but I, I think it was implied that you had to give good feedback. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, his final film actually was a small role in a movie called Trading Mom. I haven't huh. seen it. It's, you know. It's a comedy, I guess. Uh, And it was released posthumously. But before we get to his death, uh, I wanted to talk a little about his personal life. Because I'm interested in him as like a human. And it's really interesting because I actually became offended by the amount of times I read Gentle Giant. Of course, he went by the name Andre the Giant. But he was actually a human. And he was neither gentle Uh, nor only a giant he was just a man so he was both good and bad and like flawed and lovely at the same time and I really wanted to read up on that so I had been eager to learn that information Uh, of course we'll get to his drinking but other than that I didn't really know anything 
Like, I found out he had a daughter. I had no clue. Yeah. He had a daughter. Uh, his Her mother was in the wrestling world, and she died in, like, 2008. But the daughter still alive. And you can find out her full name online, but she is kind of private about it. And um, her name is Robin. That's what I'll give you on that front. But it's actually only reported that he saw her on five occasions over her life. Yeah, she said that he would... <clears throat> sometimes she would get to see him if he was coming through, like yeah. for the match, and that was about it. Yeah, it wasn't good. No. Uh, so that's pretty flawed. Um, you should be a present father. <laughs> yeah. So when they keep talking about Gentle Giant, it, it kind of offends me because I imagine, like, I, I empathize with his daughter, who is like, uh, okay, whatever. But we'll see how he doesn't make amends for it but tries to at the end but let's before we go any further talk about his drinking obviously his size required him to imbibe more alcohol to you know reach the same effects that an average person does uh we actually had a friend who it was uh how tall was dave was he six nine he would have been pretty close to that yeah so we had a friend named dave who we called dave the goliath He's the tallest person I've ever been around in yep. real life. It and, was insane. And we went out with him one night to a bar. You and I had like a drink and he had like a quabillion. Yeah, he had like a 12 pack in him just getting warmed up. It oh, was crazy. It was bonkers. But it has been reported that Andre in again, let me remind you, these numbers are all over the place. But he once drank 119 12 ounce beers in six hours. <laughs> Another person said that he drank uh, 156 in one go. I don't know how many hours that is, but that's more than I've had in my entire lifespan by far. Uh, so uh, I actually, I think the 156 was what Dusty Rhodes said in his book or okay. interview. Uh, the wrestler, a female wrestler, the fabulous Moolah, said that he once drank so much that he passed out in a hotel lobby. The staff tried to move him, realized that they couldn't, so they just had to let him be unconscious in the hotel lobby until he woke up. Stories go that that happened on more than one occasion, <clears throat> and at one point they just put a piano cover over him and oh. left him there. <laughs> One of the funniest urban legends is they put um, velvet ropes around him and oh, marked him off. That would be really But cool. there was really no moving him once he passed out in the he lobby. Was, yeah, he was large. Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride uh, told a story about when they were filming how he drank so much that he fell over and passed out on top of someone. And again, this is like he was so much larger than life, not just physically, but like his lore is bizarre. There's this whole story, which I could not confirm and doubt is true, but that there was like a some sort of police officer who was undercover and just followed him to protect people from him passing out. He was huge, though. Yeah. I mean, one of the pranks that he liked to play on his friends in Europe was the little European cars. He would just move them. <laughs> That's not a joke. Like, you yeah, just would I know. pick cars up. I mean, he was incredibly strong. Yes. I mean, at least in early on, by the end, he had kind of lost his strength. But one thing to mention with his alcohol consumption is I one of the podcasts I listened to, the guy put it really well. He said, 
it doesn't matter if it was 104 or 150. Mm-hmm. You're still in the hundreds of beers that he is drinking in I one get... sitting. So what does it matter if you're off by 30 beers when you're up into the hundreds at that I point? Can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. I truly cannot. And, you know, I think it was Hulk who said that he once drank 14 bottles of wine in like just one go. Yeah, he loved wine. He'd just bring like a case of wine. He's French, dude. Of course he did. The lesson here is that he had a drinking problem. However... We have to take into account the fact that he had, first of all, insane pain. And he had seen what painkillers had done to some of his, like, you know, fellow wrestlers, people who had addictions. So he was mitigating that pain with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I I think fairly unsuccessfully, but that's what he was doing. But also we need to take into into consideration his size so we're like what that's so much obviously 156 beers would kill probably like 10 people (laughs) i can't even can't even begin to fathom that amount but he was huge very very large so put that all you know just do with that information what you will he drank way too much he also was in constant pain and you've probably seen his mugshot. I mean, we've all mm-hmm. we all have. It's like probably the coolest mugshot ever. So he was arrested after he put a cameraman in a headlock. I guess the cameraman was filming a, a match between Andre and the Ultimate Warrior, and Andre lost the match in thirty seconds. And I I think he was angry about it. I don't really know. But he turned that energy towards the cameraman, told him, you, you're not supposed to be filming this. And then, you know, like normal people, they might have just exchanged words. But we have a little discrepancy in size here. The cameraman was under six feet tall. He weighed like 175 pounds. And Andre was, let's just say, around seven feet tall. And at this point, he weighed... Most most accounts said 540 pounds. Oh, could you imagine somebody that size angry with you? No. That is <laughs> terrifying. That is just terrifying. terrifying. And truly, the man was just bruised and he damaged the cameraman's equipment because he was mad. They, they shouted at each other from what I can tell. And then the arresting officer... <laughs> was interviewed i read the original reports and he he basically was just like thank goodness he was compliant because he just was like okay and went to jail and had his mug shot <laughs> but can you imagine like if he had been defiant what that would have been yeah. like <laughs> terrifying <laughs> but i also wanted to touch on some of the i'm gonna i'm gonna use imaginary air quotes i know you can only hear me but just imagine air quotes around gentle giant which is now just deeply offensive to me but william goldman who wrote princess bride and did its subsequent screenplay said that he was incredibly gentle and very generous like spoke very highly of andre everybody did really i mean apart Mm -hmm. from the one or two people like macho man that he had beef with they said he was really like a kind person yeah um i i really do think it was only at the end that he started to get real short-tempered but up until then I mean, by all accounts, he was a pretty easygoing guy. He, and he just loved to party and yeah. have fun. And even being short-tempered, like, think about 
how you've been crabby sometimes when you don't feel your very best. Imagine being in constant, like, debilitating pain. I'd be a little short-tempered, too. Well, and also being aware of your own mortality and mm-hmm. your career. That's one thing that needs to not be overlooked is mm-hmm. when Andre agreed to not have the surgery, they said, you're not going to live very long. Yeah, he, like said, he knew 45 yeah, was about it. Yeah, and so he knew that his career was in a very short you know, time frame. His own life was, and that's mm-hmm. why he wanted to just kind of live his life to the fullest. So I would think that would also play into why towards the end he was starting to get a little short-tempered mm-hmm. is because he knew things Time were coming to an out. end. I mean, he was aware of it. Yeah, think about all the cranky old people, you know. He was just <laughs> on an express train to the end, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, he also liked, he was like a big QVC guy. He liked playing cards, specifically cribbage. You know, he was a multifaceted person. He liked farting a lot, too, you know. Oh, we haven't even talked about that, <laughs> This have is, we? like, one of the things that's legendary beyond uh, drinking is he loved passing gas. And it was uh, something of an event, as everybody describes it. Well, it's a 540-pound man farting. Andre thought it was the funniest thing in the world to <laughs> fart. Like he really, he did have a great sense of humor, but he found farting to be the funniest thing ever. Yeah, it's the highest tier of of comedy, I think. And everybody describes it as being like this low, flappy rumble (laughs) that would happen for seriously like 30 seconds at a time. (laughs) And that he would do it in the ring sometimes on people because he had this move where he would put you in a corner and then he would just kind of shoot his butt at you. And sometimes he would fart. And it was just, oh, man, Andre the Giant. And he would laugh. He thought it was the funniest it's thing really, ever. It's really funny. I mean, it seemed like he was just living his best life, honestly. If you can force somebody into a corner and fart on them, why not? Yeah, there's another story about the corner and butts. But we won't go there this time. Oh. Also, about the Princess Bride. Um, why we glossed over it, even though it's like the biggest thing. Because we have to cover it. We will cover it. Yeah. And I don't want to give it all away here. This will just be a good counterpart to that. The question is, will I cry when we cover it? Yes, is the answer. Probably. Okay. But one more thing. I also heard that Andre lived in like a super crazy house built for a giant. Um, that's not true. So he did buy a ranch in North Carolina and there were some modifications made for him to like live there, but it wasn't like an insane giant's house uh, like it's been played up to. It was just like a few pieces of furniture so he could sit comfortably and modifications just to make him more comfortable. But that was it. Yeah, no, he loved that property too. It was really beautiful. Uh, It was just this big farm and ranch. He had longhorn cattle. He had his four-wheeler that he loved cruising around on. And he loved it because he said it reminded him of the farm in France. And it was also in a very small town where nobody stopped him for autographs. They didn't look at him. So he was just kind of like, that was his time to just go chill out for a second. So he really, really loved his his ranch. We did touch on that a couple times. And I do want to reiterate that he did not love being stared at. So anytime that he could just fly under the radar was like precious to him. Absolutely precious. That's what all the wrestlers said was that 
most wrestlers could put on a hat and sunglasses and go out and not be noticed. Be anonymous. But that's not going to happen with Andre. So he no. was on at all times and it really wore him down. Well, he, even if people didn't know who he was, he looked different, mm-hmm. like truly different. So you, I mean, children would look at him and that has to wear on your spirit after a while. Well, even though his everything was in decline, like we said, and his health Right after that WrestleMania three match, he got back surgery. Mm-hmm. So that was a big deal. I did read a whole load of nonsense about anesthesia and them having to take into account his size and drinking. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's all over the place. I really tried to get to the bottom of it. I didn't feel like I believed anything. It's also a little in the weeds for this episode. and doesn't really matter that much. No. But he did have the back surgery. And things really didn't get better after that. So that was in 87. Mm-hmm. 88, that feud with Hulk is continuing. Mm-hmm. And the way this plays out, which I really do love, because I was at this point seeing this now and really enjoying yeah. it. This was playground talk for my my time period, mm-hmm. is that in 88, they have a rematch for the championship. Okay. Andre beats Hulk. Oh, And no. immediately sells the championship belt to the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, which I thought was hilarious. And I still think is one of the funniest storylines because Ted wanted it and couldn't get it. So Andre beat him and then sold him the belt, okay. which, you know, they said, well, that doesn't work. That's it's disqualified or something like that. But I did think that that was a really funny end to that. The feud kept up a little bit more after that, but it doesn't really matter. He also had a minor feud with Jake the Snake. But needless to say, post-WrestleMania 3, everything's coming to an end. And by 1990, he was done with the WWF. He'd actually started to have a falling out with Vince McMahon, and that was that. That seems inevitable. So he leaves, although that's not the end of his wrestling career. He doesn't stop wrestling because that same year, 1990, (laughs) I have to mention this, even though it's a very minor footnote. It's just so bizarre. Mm -hmm. He appears in a promo for the UWF or the Universal Wrestling Federation. Now, let me stop and tell everybody about this for a second. The UWF was this brainchild of this super eccentric cokehead (laughs) named Herb Abrams, who really was passionate about wrestling, especially the early days, and had this notion of bringing back kind of the glory days of territorial wrestling and that energy and stuff. So he created this organization to rival the WWF and the WCW. Okay. This is great on paper. Yeah. The problem is he had no clue what he was doing, and he was not a shrewd businessman, but he really loved his cocaine. Oh, He brought in a lot of former kind of heavy wrestlers, but the production wasn't there. Mm. It was just, I've watched matches. I've watched shows of it Mm -hmm. in prep for this. And it is bonkers to watch. It is like an SNL skit. It is so off the charts insane. That's saying a lot. It is really something special. The UWF. So Andre pops up in 1990 doing a TV promo for the UWF. Was he doing commentary? No, he was like hyping it up with the intention that he was going to start wrestling for them. Oh, got it. Vince McMahon sees this and gets word and is like, oh, hell no. And immediately gets Andre off of the UWF to go back to the WWF. Okay. 
I just have to mention that because the fact that Andre, even for a split second, was associated with the UWF knowing what they were like is so bizarre. Well, it's probably just a big paycheck, right? Sure. But would you like to know how the UWF ultimately ended? Yes. Just a few years later. Uh, so after Andre split on them, that was going to be their kind of big, mm-hmm. big thing. They started to sink more and more and more. And by 1996, Herb Abrams, the creator, mm-hmm. also known by his wrestling name as Mr. Electricity. Oh, he also wrestled. For his own, like he promoted himself and wrestled. Oh, okay. By this right, point, I'm by 96, was... Oh, dude, there has to be like a movie adaptation of this at some point. He was full-blown, paranoid, extreme cocaine act at this point, right? Okay. The police finally find him in an office where he's naked, covered in baby oil. (laughs) I know it all comes back. Oh, yeah, brother. I like that. I I like that part of the story. (laughs) Covered in baby oil and coked out of his mind and as a result, dies of a heart attack induced by so much cocaine oh that's sad it's very sad but that's the end of the incredibly bizarre story of the uwf Oof. yeah <laughs> oof is right i just had to bring that up because oh, wow. it's so weird that andre was even kind of associated and i think that's partly why when vince saw him pop up was like Whatever it takes. Maybe it was a little rescue attempt. <laughs> we got to get him away from that. <laughs> Don't let it end like this. But Andre comes back to the WWF very, very briefly. This is at the very end here. Mm-hmm. He also is still wrestling in Japan with All Japan Pro Wrestling and over in Mexico with the Universal Wrestling Association. But by 92, this is the end of the WWF. And his last match in Japan was on December 4th. 1992 and that is really the definitive end of his wrestling career well and his life really in 1993 while in paris or while in france for his father's funeral andre died of congestive heart failure in a hotel room and i can't help but wonder about the discovery and just removal there, well, but what had happened was he went for his father's funeral and then he, he stayed because it was his mom's birthday. Yeah. And he was in Paris at, at a hotel. Yes. And he went up to his hotel room that night before. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning they called and he didn't answer. And so by three o'clock, it's like still no response. They Check bust open time. the door and they find him in his room. And it was awkward because you have a 500 plus pound man you have to get them out you have to get them yeah and so i don't even know how that story went i do know that the french didn't know how to move him in Mm -hmm. a casket and vince mcmahon paid to have a custom casket made to transport his body back to the u.s where he was cremated well there's more there um his he was Actually, like his family had planned to bury him next to his dad. Oh, interesting. And then they discovered his will that his wishes were to be cremated. So the family like changed plans. And then he was cremated in the United States and his ashes were scattered around his his estate in North Carolina. Oh, which is sweet. And then also, interestingly, he had one beneficiary to his entire fortune. 
His daughter, Robin. Wow. That's got to be bittersweet. Yeah, I'm sure she would have preferred to just have a relationship with her dad. Like you're a multimillionaire now, but you never knew your dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really sad. It's sad, but she has remained quiet and doesn't say a lot of like bad stuff about her dad or his relationship. They're, she's been pretty quiet about it. She gave interviews as a child, but as an adult, basically like leave me alone. Yeah, I think she was in the documentary and she was quoted as saying, like, I understand why he made the decisions he made. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get it. I'm not happy that he wasn't in my life, but I also understand that this was the yeah. time he had on this earth and that's how he chose to spend it. And he, you know, after he was gone, what's the legacy of Andre the Giant? Uh, the WWF created the Hall of Fame the mm-hmm. following year, and he was the first and only of inductee. Course. Of course, he had to be the first. He went on to become this icon, you know. I still to this day, when you say the word, word wrestling, even this many years removed, Andre the Giant comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Even if you say giant, I think of Andre. Now, Mariah. Yes. Speaking of legacy, mm-hmm. I wouldn't get through this episode without this week's fun fact. Okay, you may or may not know this, but this is very personal to our relationship. Oh. We've shared it on the podcast several times. Okay. Fun fact. Yes. Andre was the inspiration for... For his co-star from The Princess Bride, Billy Crystal. Okay. To write a film a few years later called My Giant. (laughs) (laughs) The film that bonded us together and we were both disappointed was not Andre the Giant actually was inspired by Andre the Giant. Oh my gosh. There you go. That's this week's fun fact. You just blew my mind. This was, for new listeners, this was the first when first time we ever really hung out was yeah. I ran into you at a movie store and I invited you to come watch a movie with my mom and our mutual friend and it happened to be my giant. <laughs> <laughs> and you stuck around. <laughs> Yep, here I am still. Oh, I don't remember much about that movie. It's what we call the circle of life. For real. All right. Well, talking about the squared circle, I hope you guys had (laughs) (laughs) a good time. This is a big episode for a big man. So thanks for sticking with us. I really had a lot of fun. This is why I was not in a hurry to wrap this one up. I enjoy talking about Andre the Giant. I wish I knew him. I feel like we didn't even get to everything either, but this is a great overview for people who maybe were unfamiliar. If you want to know more, oh boy, there is so much out there on him. Just look into it, dude. You really want to get into the weeds about his, his career and stuff. That's great. But what a fascinating life. And before the time of internet and everything else, he really was one of a kind. Mm -hmm. He demanded respect. He got respect. He was the boss. He was there through the thick of all the glory days of wrestling. He tied everybody together. Mm -hmm. He kept everybody in line. He had great ideas. He knew his way around the ring. He just was larger than life in so many ways. He was a really fun, happy, easygoing guy for the most part. And Mm -hmm. um, I just think that all these years since his passing... 
he still holds this place in pop culture Mm -hmm. is that yes you might see a taller person or another big person but you will not see another andre the giant he just had something about him that will never be recaptured a certain je ne sais quoi oh (laughs) en français (laughs) (laughs) okay well everybody that was uh, our episode on Andre the Giant. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at Laser Graves. If you really like Laser Graves, by all means, you can get even more episodes with our back episodes at lasergraves.com. And if you like really, really like Laser like Graves, like a really cool, want to be like a, a super fan. You can go to patreon.com slash lasergraves where we put out all kinds of bonus material every month for you to listen to. And we have a new feature coming up this month. A little surprise. We do. Yeah, starting a new feature. So get on that. And uh, other than that, thank you for listening. Go listen to all of our fellow podcaster friends, which we will share their episodes and our stories on Instagram. And I don't know what we're coming at you with next time, but... This one for me was was a really fun one. I'm excited. Oh, so fun. So until next time, see ya. Bye.